Welcome to The Checkup, brought to you by Barry Nelson's Health Law Team. The Checkup is a series of interviews, case studies and stories with some truly interesting and innovative people from all kinds of backgrounds, lawyers, doctors, authors, cyber experts and more. Together we provide a regular dose of all the latest happenings in healthcare and tackle some of the big issues within the industry. If you'd like to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Podbean or Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to get in touch with our team, head to bnlaw.com.au. Welcome back to The Checkup. I'm Kate Hickey and I'm joined by my colleague, Hannah Shiel. Morning, Kate. And we're both lawyers in Barry Nielsen's Health Law team. Today, we're also joined by Dr. Lai Hing Fung, an emergency physician based in Sydney and the chair of the ED Community of Practice for the COVID-19 Response at New South Wales Agency for Clinical Innovation. Welcome, Lai Hing, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to join you. Today, we're talking about something really topical at the moment, COVID vaccinations, from who is required to have one, herd immunity, the AstraZeneca vaccine, and more. So let's get into it. Just over 12 months ago, we spoke to Lai Heng about the then emerging threat of COVID-19 as it was just starting to have a devastating impact around the world. In fact, only hours after we recorded that podcast, our office was closed and we were working from home for what would become many months. Despite the challenges COVID-19 has thrown at us all in this country, the contrast is quite stark when compared with the situation in other countries, such as the US, UK, and of course, we've all seen reports of the situation in India, where the virus is spreading rapidly and overwhelming health services. Sadly, the virus has caused over 3 million deaths worldwide. I recall Lai Heng Yu saying back in March last year that you expected our health services to be overwhelmed. Fortunately, due perhaps in part to geography, a largely compliant population, a government who took control early by shutting down borders, a hotel quarantine system and world-class contact tracing, Australian health systems have not been overwhelmed, which I'm sure is a huge relief to you and your colleagues. Yes, um, every day I'm thankful that um, the government took the right steps um, in closing down our international borders and uh, also erecting a hotel quarantine system that has proven to be world-class. And uh, we also have, as you said, a, a great contact tracing system and a very robust public health system to start with, uh, which has basically created a good um, protective zone um, for our COVID-19 um, response. Um, at the time that I spoke to you, I had done some modelling of the first wave. And if it had been unmitigated, it would have overwhelmed our health services. But uh, because we took steps um, to prepare for that and the government listened to clinicians and also public health officials who have managed to avoid um, what many countries have had to face. Unfortunately, um, COVID-19 has a way of surprising us just when we think we are on top of it. And uh, although that we've done really well, um, there's still a lot to do. Um, and we still see kind of um, little clusters that have escaped the quarantine hotel system. Mm. No system is perfect. Um, and uh, unless, you know, we want to close our borders forever mm. or, or restrict the numbers forever, it, it will need to have some other way to address um, this infection. And this is the vaccine. Uh, so we're very, very grateful that um, we've... Um, had the Pfizer vaccine and the AstraZeneca vaccine as well. And I guess the most important thing now is to get everyone to go mm. out there to get the vaccine. 
Um, and um, ethically, we cannot let Australian citizens and permanent residents languish elsewhere in the world and controlling their return. So we have to um, figure out some way to kind of do it in a manageable way, but also get our community immunised and yeah. keep our community safe. Yeah, absolutely. It just gave me goosebumps hearing you talking about had we not taken those steps, just how overwhelming it, it could have been. And I think it's important that we do emphasise that. One of the questions that I have for you, um, you're a frontline healthcare worker and you've been in the first category of eligible Australians to receive the COVID vaccine. So how did you feel about getting the vaccine? Tell me what your experience was like. Uh, I must say on the day I was um, about to get the first dose of the vaccine, I just felt elated. Mm. I felt like there is finally mm. light at yeah. the end of the tunnel. And for many of my colleagues, they felt the same. Uh, and uh, this um, pandemic has really stretched on for a long time mm. and uh, it doesn't look like it's going to end very soon. No. And to have something that protects us 95% you know, mm. Um, mm. of the time against severe illness is something really empowering. Mm. Uh, and uh, the um, vaccine centre at Liverpool, where I got my vaccine, was really well, well organised. Uh, and there were a lot of healthcare workers there who were really glad to be there mm. and finally, um, you know, be safe. Yeah. Not just themselves, but also keeping their family safe and keeping their community safe. So, yeah, a massive relief. And uh, I hope that um, everyone will be going to get their vaccine when, mm. their, when their turn comes. Yeah. And, and um, empowering, I think also such a good word to use because you're right, this has been going on for so long. What what are things that we can do? Okay, we could stay at home when we were told to stay home and this is, you know, this is something else. Um, obviously, recent media reports about the risk of blood clots and even a number of deaths worldwide and in Australia linked to the AstraZeneca vaccine, people are concerned. I mean, we hear people saying things like, you know, it's been developed so quickly, have corners been cut? So can you be our voice of reason here. How stringent are the TGA processes that have approved these vaccines? And, um, you know, are they safe? Are they effective? So when people say this vaccine has been developed at lightning speed and, of course, corners have been cut, um, I'll actually like to present a different perspective, which is that um, this vaccine has been developed with collaboration from people globally and uh, scientists and researchers have uh, finally come together and shared their data and that's why we've been able to develop these vaccines so quickly. So in fact, it's a celebration of uh, global cooperation. Uh, it's not cutting corners, um, it's using existing uh, vaccine, well actually technology that's been used for more the oncology sphere into developing a vaccine uh, for the mRNA vaccines like Pfizer and Moderna, and then using existing technology to develop other types of vaccines. So our TGA has been very, very strict about um, uh, making sure that everything is safe. But uh, I'll just like to put it out there that um, no treatment is ever 100% safe. Mm. You know, every treatment requires you to balance risk and benefit. So there are these risks of blood clots that we are now finding out about. Um, it's um, only been in the last uh, probably eight weeks that we've found out about this because uh, millions of people have been 
vaccinated mm. in the UK, in Europe mm. and in the US. So with the risk of clots, um, we are still finding out about it, um, but uh, it's um, related um, to the AstraZeneca vaccine and also the Johnson & Johnson vaccine uh, because they're using uh, this adenovirus um, kind of vector to deliver the vaccine. But um, I like to keep things in perspective and um, there is a chance of serious harm due to the um, vaccine of 11 per million. But if you think about it, your risk of dying by road accident is 38 mm. per million. Mm. So when you think about driving your sports car, a Porsche around the road, yeah. uh, you know, you're at higher risk than yeah. actually a risk yeah. of a complication um, by the um, vaccine. And um, in this, in Australia's case, the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, so, you know, we have to just keep things in perspective. I mean, the benefit would be uh, not getting, even if you get the COVID-19 um, infection, if you have the vaccine, you are less likely to develop severe COVID-19 mm. um, symptoms and you're less likely to go to intensive care and you're less likely to die from it. Mm. So when you weigh that up, you know, um, it's... Um, I think it's worthwhile. Um, and the government has certainly changed their advice to say that if you're less than 50 years old, um, then, you know, you're advised to get the, the Pfizer vaccine. Um, and uh, they did that recommendation based on risk profile, because if you're older, you're more likely to end up in ICU mm -hmm. if you get the uh, COVID-19 um infection. So um, if you're younger, your, your risk is less. So if they balance the risk of going to an ICU and potentially dying with, you know, your risk of clots and mm. the, the risk ratio kind of comes to about age 50. So it's... Ah, so it's more about the risk ratio than that the vaccine actually has a different effect on younger people. Yeah. I mean, in terms of um, serious harm due to a vaccine, um, if you're a 25-year-old, um, the risk is 11 per million. But if you're 55 years old, um, the risk of serious harm is 4 per million. So um, there is slightly higher risk in the younger group, but yeah. um, the decision mostly is based on, you know, if you get the COVID-19 infection. Yeah. As a more than 50-year-old person, you're more likely to end up in ICU mm. uh, and you're more likely to die. And presumably it's also related to the availability of these vaccines because, you know, we may not get enough, say, Pfizer for the whole population. Um, so therefore, a proportion of the population is going to have to have a different vaccine. Yeah, you are correct. So, so basically, you know, when we first started off, um, we, we had, um, you know, about 11 million Pfizer vaccines and we had ordered... 24 million AstraZeneca vaccine. Also, the AstraZeneca vaccine is produced here. Mm. So, you know, production can be, yep. and, and logistics of delivering mm. it is much more assured, mm. especially when the whole world is short of vaccines mm. and they all want it. And yep. um, so um, I think also the AstraZeneca vaccine is easier to transport. So, okay. you know, they're balancing lots of yep. different considerations to take mm. that. Um, and, uh, they're still um, recommending that, um, you know, if you are um, over 50 and you're offered AstraZeneca, please take it. Yeah. Uh, so, but we are getting better and better at diagnosing the complications now and treating it. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, you know, um, 
the risk of death is less. Yep. Um, but I uh, also like to say something about, you know, media reports about this, you know, mm. they highlight mm. one complication mm. out of two million Mm. vaccines mm. being given. So I think some perspective is really useful here. Yeah, absolutely. So um, now that um, I have um, two medical legal experts in the room, <laughs> um, I would. Um, I was wondering whether I could ask you a question. Absolutely. So um, the COVID vaccine currently is um, voluntary for the general population and also actually currently for the medical practitioners. But what do you think about uh, the medical practitioners um, not really being required to get the vaccine and what are the implications in terms of their uh, their work um, and uh, their, yeah, yeah. their rights? I it's guess. actually a question we're getting asked a lot. Um, and of course, we all know that no one can force you to have any type of medical treatment, including a vaccination. That would actually constitute assault. However, there certainly can be consequences if... Um, particularly for medical practitioners, if you um, don't want to have the vaccine. And APRA have released a statement on this. And what they say is that the national boards strongly encourage all registered health practitioners and students to have the full COVID-19 vaccination course as scheduled, unless medically contraindicated. So in a nutshell, if you're a medical practitioner, unless you have a valid medical reason, then you're strongly encouraged to get the vaccine. Lai Hang, I'm just wondering if we can ask you, and I think you've you've touched on this a little bit, but putting to one side all the controversy about the COVID vaccines and its safety, can you tell us why, despite the fact that we are actually doing really well here in Australia compared to the you know other countries, um, how will the COVID vaccine play such a vital role in protecting all of us? You know that people talk about herd immunity or like how will this vaccine help us really um so uh we have to keep in mind that uh we have done really well because we shut our international mm. borders very early and we are not allowed to travel outside so unless all australians want to just stay in australia you know for the duration of the pandemic we need somehow to uh, protect not just ourselves our family and community but also our global population when we do get the chance to travel so experts estimate that in order to achieve herd immunity, we need at least 70 to 80% of our people mm -hmm. vaccinated. So um, herd immunity is the concept that, um, you know, we need to get a certain level of population covered with the vaccination so that the whole community can be protected because we realize that uh, not everyone can get the vaccine. Uh, and so, you know, the fact that you are getting the vaccine means you're protecting your relative who might be immunosuppressed and can't get the vaccine or who might be, you know, otherwise, you know, with other health conditions that uh, where the vaccine is contraindicated. But we need a certain level in order to mm. get our whole high, community. It? Really? Yes, yeah. it is high. Um, and so that's why I think, you know, it's uh, up to all of us, not just healthcare professionals to promote the vaccine. Mm. Um, of course, you know, um, people need informed consent to get mm. um, the vaccine. But uh, I think right now the benefit of getting the vaccine is still much higher than the risk of a rare but potentially, you know, um, lethal condition because we can diagnose it and we can treat it. 
So do we know yet whether the vaccine protects us against, um, so once we've had the vaccine that we won't be able to transmit it? Sure. Or do we not know that yet? So um, there's um, sort of, uh, we're getting more and more evidence that it does um, stop transmission. And certainly um, there's been a recent Oxford study that has looked at um, transmission and found that um, the AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, you know, is helping transmission. The most important function of the vaccine is to prevent serious sequelae from the infection and to prevent deaths. And just to keep in perspective as well, most of the vaccines that we do get, um, actually the main purpose of it is to prevent severe infection. Mm. It's not to prevent transmission. There are only like two, you know, the measles vaccine and the hepatitis B vaccine that actually, you know, strongly protects against transmission. So it's similar to the so, flu vaccine. Yes. You know, we can still get the flu, but we just probably will get a milder dose of it and hopefully we won't get really sick. Yes. Yeah, people have been talking about the transmission, but really the vaccine is to protect you mm. from dying mm. from COVID-19 infection yeah. mm. or ending up in intensive care. Yeah. Uh, so that's the main purpose. And if we can stop transmission, that's even better. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, that shouldn't be the holy grail uh, and uh, it shouldn't stop you from um, not getting the vaccine. Um, I have another question um, for you. Um, I'm interested to know um, what a medical practitioner's obligations are in circumstances where a patient requests a medical certificate stating that they they are exempt from having the COVID vaccine. Yeah, so we've talked about medical practitioners and we know what APRA's stance on that is that unless it's medically contraindicated, um, you should get the vaccine. But it's somewhat different when we're talking about the general public. And medical practitioners are sometimes asked to provide medical certificates for all kinds of things and including, um, you know, patients we know have been asking for medical certificates saying they're exempt from getting the vaccine because their workplace wants them to get it and they don't want to get it. Um, So it's important for medical practitioners to understand that they can only give a clinical opinion about medical issues. So if a patient is opposed to the vaccine, say for religious reasons or because they just believe that vaccinations are unsafe in general, and we know that there are a percentage of the population who believe that, then that they are not valid medical reasons and you'd be expected to use your clinical discretion to determine whether a particular patient is at risk based on their medical condition. Kate, I also just think it's really important that we emphasise here that APRA also have a really clear position on information sharing and social media, which is so important given that anyone can write anything that they want on on social media these days. So APRA's position is that the promotion of anti-vaccination statements or health advice, which contradicts the best available scientific evidence or seeks to actively undermine the national immunisation campaign, is not supported by the national boards. It may be, in fact, um, in breach of the codes of conduct and then also subject to investigation and possible regulatory action. So I think that's such an important point, um, and I'm sure, Lai Heng, that you would appreciate that because, you know, whilst the mainstream medical profession is trying to get the message out there that this vaccine is so important for all of us, there are some who are doing the opposite and it's really unhelpful. Um, and, you know, I think it's good that APRA has a really clear position on their stance on that. That's, um, that's really um, 
great to to know and i'm i'm glad that you highlighted that and uh, i just think healthcare workers have a duty to inform mm. the public about something that could save lives yeah. um and uh, the um covid-19 vaccine certainly will save lives if uh, we do get you know a third surge mm. a fourth surge and you know if we open our borders we'll definitely have more cases yeah um and um they do have some adverse effects and patients need to know them um i mean with every treatment that we give including blood transfusion and even operations we give them you know the risk of adverse effects sure. and if they need that operation mm. most of them would take, take it, it yeah. right and so it's this, it's a similar kind of thing with covid-19 infection people don't want to get it you know so you know we would encourage them to get the vaccine fully knowing that there are some adverse effects um but um as i've highlighted previously mm. there are some you know risk in a lot of things that you do um mm. and certainly taking the contraceptive pill yep. um itself increases your risk of getting clots um yep. either in your lower limb or in your lungs um and uh, we tell patients that and people still do, do it because yeah, um yeah, yeah it serves a, a purpose yeah. and the covid-19 vaccine serves a purpose yeah. too so we really need to keep that in mind yeah. um and uh we we really must be <clears throat> the best advocates for our patients and the best advocates for the safety of our community yeah and i guess we've been relatively lucky in australia too because we've been somewhat delayed in terms of our um response to covid because we've been able to see it what's happened in other parts of the world first so you know we've seen what other risks and complications there have been in other countries and we've been able to then you know adapt our message to Australian citizens as to the risks and benefits based on data that we have that other countries haven't been had access to mhm for sure laying There may be a perception in Australia, I guess because we've done so well here comparatively that some of us if we're young and healthy don't need the vaccine. What would you say to those people who think I'm young and healthy even if I get covid it's probably just going to be mild, I don't need it, I'm not going to get it. Okay. Um yeah, that's very true. Um but um I guess uh, my role here is to remind people that we are still in the midst of a pandemic mm. and not likely to get out of it anytime soon. Mm. Even 2022 seems a stretch now. The SARS-CoV-2 um had virus has a way of catching us when we think that we have defeated it mm. and it comes back. So we just have to remind ourselves of the Victorian outbreak yeah. uh, when we thought that we were out of it. um and uh, all um it took were a few breaches from quarantine hotel and it rapidly spread in the community and uh, caused one of the highest rates of healthcare worker infection uh, in hospital because mm. the hospitals were actually inundated yeah. uh, briefly but again the government acted very quickly but um this is kind of um a um, a warning to people to think that uh, we are out of this um yeah. out of danger um and uh, aside from wearing masks in crowded areas avoiding mass gatherings and hand washing the vaccine really provides the best solution for us to get out of this pandemic that's very important because the um the 
uh, various um, strategies that we've had to do to combat this pandemic has in itself caused lots of different, you know, social disruptions and mm. economic mm. impacts. So we have higher mental health um, presentations um, and uh, in especially among the adolescents mm. um, because of, mm. you know, um, they, they couldn't go to school and they couldn't interact. There's also a lot of people who have um, lost jobs um, and, you know, there's increased rates of domestic violence. Mm. Um, there's increased rates of just um, mental health burden in general in the community. So um, I would like to see Australia come out of this pandemic. And we're certainly in a very powerful position to do that. But we need the vaccine. And uh, I also like to remind people that um, in the um, second and third surges um, in um, Europe, uh, in America, the people who have been infected are actually young people. Mm. That's because they've relaxed the lockdown, there's lockdown fatigue, and everyone has just gone out to have a party. Yeah, I'm not saying don't have a party, <laughs> but you know, if have you go to have a big crowd, then you're exposing yourself to the risk of getting the infection. Yep. Um, and there's this um, whole emerging syndrome called the long COVID syndrome that's come up. Um, and people who have, you know, a milder infection, um, not getting to ICU, are finding that they're actually then getting, you right. know, this long COVID syndrome mm. that's debilitating and really impacting on their um their recovery yeah and so you know it's not a um you know just because you get a mild infection at the beginning you know you're safe and you recover in a week okay. it can it can drag on for weeks yeah and stopping you from working mm. and uh, so uh it's a cautionary tale i think for people who think that uh because they're young they're mm. out of uh, danger or because we've done so well you know, we yeah. don't need to do we don't anything need to more. Yeah. I think so complacency is um, actually um, the, the main thing that would stop us from mm, yeah. getting out of this pandemic. No, I think that's a really good, a really good message. So I've just got, really got one last question, Laihang, and that's in relation to these new strains of COVID-19 that we keep hearing about. We keep hearing about the, the South African strain and the UK strain that the virus is mutating. Um, and people are, I guess, concerned that perhaps the vaccines we have now are not going to be protective against these new strains. Do we have any more information about that? So uh, I just wanted to give um, a short background that when a virus is widely circulating in a population causing many infections, the likelihood of any virus to mutate increases. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, in the influenza um, yearly um epidemic is also present. Mm. So it's not a thing of COVID-19 right. um, or a SARS-CoV virus, it's a COVID-2 virus. It's more that um, just the natural cause of the virus, you know, infecting people and replicating is just increases the uh, risk of mutation. I mean, the current COVID-19 vaccine that are um, in, um, in use and in development are expected to provide at least some protection against this um, new um, virus variants because, um, I mean, these vaccines elicit a broad immune response um, involving a range of antibodies and cells and therefore changes in mutations the virus should not make the vaccine completely ineffective. Mm -hmm. okay. It might be less effective, um, but 
people are monitoring it. Researchers yeah. are, you know, are looking at this, and um, and in the event that many of these vaccines um, prove to be less effective, um, it might be possible to change the composition of the vaccine to protect against these variants. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the yearly flu vaccine, that's what happens. They look at what happened you know, the previous yeah, yeah. years mm-hmm. and then adapt the vaccine. Okay. So, you know, we should trust our researchers and scientists. Yeah. They're onto this. And, you know, it doesn't mean you stop getting the vaccine just because it's, no. you know, because it's it's never completely ineffective. No, mm-hmm. but it might still be less effective, but it's some, still providing yeah. some protection. Yep. Um, so um, that's really important. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I mean, I think you've definitely answered some questions that, Kate and I had. So I'm sure that means that many of our listeners had the same question. So we appreciate just how busy you are. So thank you so much for taking the time out to come and chat to us about, I think, what is a really important message and something complacency, you know, when we have been doing so well, but it, you know, as you just said, we're not there, we're not there yet. So it's been really important, I think, for you to come and just emphasize these points with us so we want to wish you and your colleagues all the best for continuing to fight this COVID-19 pandemic and and thanks again for coming to chat to us today. Oh, thank you very much to, uh, for inviting me. Um, I see this as a really important role um, that I have as a mm. healthcare uh, professional. I sense pandemic f- fatigue in many people um, and uh, they really want to get out of this pandemic and now that we have a vaccine, we can. Yeah. So we don't just, you know, want to get out of it by just opening up, you know, shops and mm-hmm. restaurants and, you know, without any risk mitigation feature. And this vaccine is basically kind of our security blanket in a yeah. way. You know, mm-hmm. it, ab- it allows us to get back to the life that we knew before, but in a safe manner. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have only managed to vaccinate 2 million of Mm. our population. So that's less than 10%. We have a way to go. And uh, um, certainly um, vaccine hesitancy is an emerging problem. And uh, I think that uh, as healthcare providers, we should um, use our voice to encourage people to get this vaccine and to reassure them that whenever we have any adverse effects, we're monitoring it, we know how to treat it and we will look out for it. Um, I also like to ask the media to be, you know, more responsible in reporting uh, these adverse effects and also put in, you know, all the benefits that you get from mm-hmm. the vaccine um, because uh, people need to know that healthcare workers like me are cheering mm. and, you know, are so happy that we are finally protected yeah. because we are in the front line and we need to really... Mm. Um, feel that uh, while we're saving lives, we can also protect our life and our families' lives. Absolutely. I think it's such an important message. This is sort of our light at the end of the tunnel, Um, but we all need to get on board. Otherwise, um, you know, we're going to be an island nation for perhaps longer than we want to be. That's it from us today. Thank you for tuning into The Checkup. And as always, if you'd like to know more or get in touch, head to www.bnlaw.com.au. Chat soon. Thanks so much.